My next guest is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter, playwright. His script, In Moonlight, Black Boys Like, excuse me, In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, is the basis for the Oscar-winning film Moonlight, directed by Barry Jenkins, for which McCraney and Jenkins won an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. He wrote the film High Flying Bird, which I also saw. It was on Netflix. Really, really, you should watch that. It's on Netflix right now. McCraney's play includes Miss Black for President, co-written with Tina Landau. The Brothers Sister Plays Trilogy, Head of Passes, Wig Out, and Quabor, which is nominated for four Tony Awards. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the executive producer and creative owns, that's Oprah's Network, David Makes Man, Terrell Alvin McCraney. Hey, how y'all doing? How you doing, my friend? I'm did, well. I'm well. Did, did I get everything right? Did I get everything right? I had a lot to say about you, young man. Did I get everything right? <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Good. Thanks so much for having me. Good. Talk to me. Where are you at right now? Where are you based at right now? And um and uh t- tell me about what the where you at right now. Uh I'm born and raised in Miami, Florida, which is where I live currently. Yes, sir. Um the and that was the basis for um, a lot of what we do uh, and did for the film in Moonlight, was shot here in Miami. And the show David Makes Man takes place in Homestead, Florida, which is about um, 50 miles south of uh, Miami proper. Uh, it's a suburb of the metropolitan area. And um, it's about a young man, David, who is uh, just lost his best friend, his closest friend, and is trying to navigate his home life and his uh, rise at a very uh, prominent magnet school in Miami. Um, so it takes place in the in the in the outer world and the inner world of this 14 year old black boy uh, on home on Wednesdays. Well, you know it's really interesting. So uh, just from a business perspective, now do you by by taping a show and shooting a movie in Florida are there tax breaks for productions or film or television productions in Florida? No, there used to be. There used to be incentives in Florida for filming in Florida uh, as a state. Um, but now there are different municipalities that have taken on uh, trying to make sure that uh, production stays. So Tampa, I know, is trying to make sure that there's, um, there, there's incentives for filming. And Orlando, which has Universal Studios and other studios, um, uh, Disney, for example, try to make sure that when filming happens in the, um, in the area that it is incentivized. But no, we lost that tax break. Uh, thanks to uh, some wonderful leadership in the government, <laughs> and um, and we we lost a lot of production. So filming in Florida can be costly. But one of the ways in which we um, engaged that is that we hired locally. Um, right. We had an incredible producer, uh, Wayne Morris, and an incredible crew um, of designers and um, production and crew in Orlando that helped us um, at Universal Studios and off in and around the area. We, we shot a lot of it on Dr. Phillips High School, uh, which is right there in the middle of Orlando. And we got, um, we were able to, you know, maintain a budget and film a really great show. But um, it was important to film in Orlando. It was important to film in Florida. Right. Um, because one, that's where the, that's where the piece is set. Uh, and two, you know, if, if someone doesn't start bringing the business back there, then no one will. And so we, what we wanted to do is show folks that there is a cost-effective way to bring business back to an area that is really great and probably one of the best places to film. I mean, the weather year-round here yes. is um, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, um, our current president was uh, trying to start a, a film, uh, a film company, a film lot here in Homestead, Florida, 
well, uh, I don't know how why that got derailed, but probably uh, through the tax incentive loss, we um, he probably lost interest. Politics, that's what politics do, my friend. They derail, they, they, they push a good idea, but it doesn't always come back to have value to anybody's individual life or success stories. Now, here's, I'm, a, mm. I'm a sitcom writer. You know, wrote mm-hmm. on uh, the Parkers, wrote on uh, Sister Sister, Jamie Foxx show, Robert Townsend. And so you are considered what type of writer? What am I? What kind of writer am I? Considered? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm, we drama. Or are you just uh, uh, you know do your screenplays for theater? Because I see a, a range of, of different type of writing skills that you possess. So you just say that. So do you write for a particular? Like this is a drama that you have on own, correct? That is correct. Okay, yep. cool. And now uh, the, the, it's a, a series drama on own, and um, uh, that's ten episodes. Um, and we have a showrunner who is um, Dee Harris Lawrence, right? Who uh, wrote on things like Shots Fired and um, uh, The Biggie and, and Tupac Story, right? Um, and things like that, right? Yeah. So here's the interesting thing about your career. So, so you're from Miami, Florida, and so how mm-hmm. does one on the show Money Make Conversation? I try to just tell everybody's story to a certain degree because everybody sees the end results, and sometimes the end results mm-hmm. don't tell you the true path or the path that you took or other individuals who've sure. been successful, whether it's in business or film or entertainment or, or, or some other form of success. How did you, how did mm. your movie, your script get in the hands of the right people? Which one? Moonlit, Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. So in Moon, so I wrote in Moonlight when I was 22 years old. Um, I just graduated undergrad from DePaul University. My mother had died of AIDS-related complications. And so I wrote that script um, because I wanted to make a film or a kind of visual depiction of what um, it was like growing up uh, in Liberty City, um, which is where the film takes place and it was shot. Um, and then um, it sort of sat around for a very long time. Um, I went on to the Yale School of Drama um, to study uh, playwriting and screenwriting. And um, I graduated from there and wrote uh, about six or seven plays. Um, and I think I was on my way to, um, I'd come back to Miami and shot a couple short films that I'd written um, with a group called the Borscht Film Festival. Then a man named Andrew Hevier told me about a young a young man who also grew up in Liberty City, not three or four blocks away from me, wow. um, named Barry Jenkins. And Barry had gone on to become a filmmaker as well, uh, a creative as well. And he had graduated from Florida State film, uh, from the film school at Florida State um, and was in San Francisco making a few films and had made a film uh, recently with Borscht called Chlorophyll um, that was based in Miami. And one of the things that Borscht really wanted, similar to what we talked about with David McMahon, is that coming back to the city and making, uh, making film and making work there uh, makes, you know, builds an industry. And so they had brought Barry back to make a film. They also brought myself back. And while we were here, we didn't talk to, we didn't get a chance to meet, but, um, uh, but through and the internet, we exchanged scripts. Um, and so Barry had Moonlight for about, um, you know, about a year. Right. And then he, um, reached out to me and said, you know, I think I want to make this into a film. And I said, wow. I said, that's great. <laughs> so that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so when, when, when did they, when he said he want to make this into a movie, did money run through your mind? The opportunity? What? What? Were you having any control over the script? Would you be 
Will you be pushed out of the project? What were the thoughts that ran through your mind as a as a, as the person who, who wrote the script? Um, none of those thoughts were in my mind. In fact, I think maybe uh, naively I, I was uh, just I trusted Barry's integrity, um, and which you know he has in spades. And so none of those things ran through my mind. I thought, you know, here is a feature film that is about uh, a young man coming of age in Liberty City. Um, in the margins of poverty, and people don't even know where Liberty City is. Um, if you told them that was in Miami, half of the people who you asked wouldn't even uh, believe you. Um, and so, he, you know, the venture of it was certainly coming from a personal, a very personal place, um, and and the end result did too. When Barry finally, um, you know, sort of uh, redrafted the script and and showed it to me, I was like, "This is amazing! It's exactly what we started with." And yes. um, it takes that and, and weaves weaves together in a feature length version what we what the voice of the piece is. And um, when we finally shot it, I, even seeing it, I was like, "This is a film that's very much a love letter to the place we grew up." So wow. none of none of the ideas of money and you know losing you losing control ever sort of came came over me my man uh liberty city as uh they've done uh, several specials a little lebron james did a uh, docuseries out of liberty city it's known for mm-hmm. athletes tremendous amount of talented uh professional athletes have come out of that area and uh over the yeah. years and Antonio that's what, brown's from this area absolutely and so just just to name one of the many and that's what it's known mm-hmm. for but again it is uh it's in the hood it's a neighborhood that doesn't uh, doesn't benefit people. They say, how do you get out of that neighborhood? Either fight your way out, shoot your way out, or just luckily get out. Fortunately, two individuals, Barry Jenkins and yourself, have come out of there and are changing the world in the movie and entertainment industry. We'll be back with more. I've seen uh, three episodes of David Makes Man. We're going to talk about that series coming back up. It airs every Wednesday on OWN. I'm talking to the executive producer and creator of David Makes Man. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald. You're listening to Money Making Conversation. I am the host. We're talking and uh, and communicating with a very talented young man who's based in the um, Miami, Florida area. He is the uh, executive producer and creator of a new series on OWN. That's O-W-N. That's Oprah Winfrey's network. David Makes Man. Um, please welcome back to the show. Uh, how you doing there, sir? How you doing? I'm great. Thanks again. Let's talk about this show, David Makes Man. Explain to me the title, first of all. Um, David Makes Man is based on verb. I mean, the syntax of it really means what it says. You watch for 10 episodes as a young person tries to make a life, make adulthood, make manhood uh, for themselves. So you literally watch David Make Man. And so so I, I, I saw three episodes so far. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. it's more than just about him. Right? Let's put it this way. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you. You know, I grew up on good times. This is not good times. <laughs> this is not, you know, it's it's a very interesting story for me. A lot of rave reviews, a lot of, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave me great reviews. Would you get a, you get a great review out of Rotten Tomatoes, you win it. Because, first of all, they everybody's turning to them for reviews. They're kind of like the Yelp of entertainment is Rotten Tomatoes. And so, sure. and so, it's a, I grew up in Fifth Ward, Texas, and I grew up in, a, in Fifth Ward is kind of like, it's not as bad as Liberty, but it is pretty, it was pretty bad, okay? And so with that being said is that my family allowed me, I have six sisters and two brothers, my family inside my home, inside my two-bedroom home, 
uh, it was nine of us. We include our, you know, include nine, six, nine, nine, nine children and uh, two parents. So there's 11 of us living in this home. The world was beautiful. Outside, a lot was going on that was not beautiful. And that's kind of the world that he lives in, correct? Yeah, David lives in um, a project uh, called Homestead Village. It's right. based on this project that I grew up in in Homestead called Homestead Gardens. Right. Um, uh, and Homestead is, a, again, a suburb outside of Miami, um, made famous by a hurricane named Andrew that came right. around 1992 and destroyed pretty much everything except for actually these um, these housing projects. Mm-hmm. And um, David uh, lives with his mother and her and their, and his younger brother, uh, Jonathan Gregg, and they and he's been accepted to a magnet program, which is about, you know, um, 40 minutes away from his house by car. Um, so David's coming home to one experience, which is the experience of um, that we, we can uh, charge to being marginalized to poverty. Right. Um, there's you know, there's some there's some gang, there's some drug gang activity. Um, and David is managing to tr- or try to manage to stay clear of, of that, but while also getting to school on time, making sure that his brother has everything he needs, making sure his mother um, is not stressed um, and, and may be relapsing. Um, he then goes to school, and then there's, a, there's other pressures. You know, right. There's pressures to perform and pr- pressures in. to pay attention, to be fully alert, mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to act in a certain way. And I think a lot of us, um, especially my age, um, po- you know, in the age of, you know, diversity and inclusion and busing, and we experience this kind of uh, double consciousness uh, in ways that other other folks might not have. And I think it was in, it, it's important or it's an interesting conversation to have about what we what it means to go outside of your community um, to, and and to express your talent. You know, David is extremely gifted. He, he has a sharp mind. He's very intuitive. Um, and you get to see that. So in watching the show, you get to see moments where his mind is, you know, playing out the scenario right in front of him. Or you get to see the moments where he imagines things one way, um, and then we see the reality of it. Um, and I think many of us have that. Have that. Like you said, you grew up in uh, a specific ward uh, in a Texas neighborhood, and I and I'm sure your imagination and the ability for you to um, to to see the world as it is. We're always in conversation, and that's what makes it beautiful. The, you, when you have room to sort of look at where you are um, and envision where you want to go, and I think a lot. And so, you know, we created the show or created this idea for the show. And when we started going around, we talked to people like Michael B. Jordan, uh, who instantly said, "You know, this. I, I didn't grow up in the South, but I grew up in Newark, and this was my experience. It was right. very similar to what I experienced by going into, you know, New York City on auditions." You know, once he decided he wanted to be an actor, um, Michael making himself into an actor uh, meant that he had to, you know, dress a little differently, speak a little differently, um, get, you know, bring in headshots. You know, and that kind of experience for him was was different than the one he was experiencing in his home in his home streets of Newark. Um, and then we brought it to Miss Winfrey uh, when we pitched it to Own. And one of the things she she spoke to us about after you know being really moved by the pitch is this idea that, um, you know, young folks, especially who grow up um, along the margins of poverty um, and, um, and the, the oppression that race, race can have in that, we then are expected to perform in these sort of very white uh, spaces in a certain way. 
Um, and sometimes that can bring anxiety that we don't even know that we have. Um, and she had just um, she had just done a special on 60 Minutes about uh, childhood trauma um, and how you know young folks who grow up in a certain environment and then try to go out into the world and start a career sometimes face that um, and don't recognize why they have that anxiety. And it was incredible to us um, that here I was pitching this story about you know this kind of double consciousness, this kind of childhood trauma that I had carried over into adulthood. And here Oprah was already, you know, having starting a conversation about that um, and working towards healing. And so those were the sort of connective tissue that brought us to the show and why you see on screen so much of David's inner life and his inner workings. But not just him. You get to see what his mother's like. You get to see the people around him, their imagination, this community. Right. Um, right. And again, his community has problems like all communities do, but it also has a lot of joy, a lot of love, a lot of laughter. Uh, especially when you get to around the fourth and fifth episodes, you get to see just how in, uh, engaged and how his mother tries to make sure that regardless of where they live, just like you said about living in the fifth ward, um, they may not have much, but they have joy. And that's really key, you know, because of pride of, of him going out to the dance and that young lady who you guys cast to be his date to the dance. Uh, incredible man! That young lady is going to be a star. Was she a was is she a local actress or was she discovered someplace else and then uh, flown in to do the role? Because she's amazing. The young lady who played his date to the dance. Uh, Tessie actually sent in. Uh, Tessie is amazing. She is amazing. She uh, sent in a tape uh, uh, from Nevada to wow. uh, read for the part of Marissa originally. And when I saw her, I said, "No, she's tear." <laughs> I mean, just, uh, I mean, just natural. I mean, just, just, you know, as she, you know, you know, I've been fortunate to cast a lot of people and uh, and see them go on to success as being a producer like you, you know, you get to sit in the room and get people to read your lines and you go, they bring, and everybody's talent can read a line differently or read a script differently. And as she, as she's, as she's picking up food or talking and being able to manipulate things so naturally, I went, this young lady is a star. Is she on future episodes or is that particular episode I saw is her, is the only role she's going to play in the series? No, she's throughout the series. You'll see, you'll get a chance to see her again and again. Oh, she's amazing. And then let's go back to the mom's character because, you know, she's a, she's a waitress. Uh, she's struggling. She wants to be a manager and then she falls, hurts her hip. So she has this little wobbly walk now. And, uh, and she gets fired and and she also crosses between reality and dreamland. You know, like she said, she thought the, the gentleman was there to sweep her off her feet to carry her out of the doctor's office. And voila, no, no one's there for you. So that that world that you're creating, the world of like I said, everybody has dreams. I had dreams. So I would tell people dreams carried me out of the hood. Now, now all I'm doing is making them a reality today. That's all I do nowadays. Every dream I've ever had as a kid, I am actually living it today. And I have more dreams as an adult that I'm going to live and see it through because that's established in my DNA. But her character is is, is tragic but also um, motivating because she doesn't give up. She doesn't allow the system or the to, to enter and bring her, her children down or stop them from being dreamers. That was a really, really passionate development for that character for you, correct? Well, that episode particularly was written by our showrunner, D. Harris Lawrence, who, again, when we brought this, this pitch to her um, about, the, uh, about the series, she said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a she, to quote her, I'm a female, David. Um, I, I grew up, uh, 
she grew up in uh, South Central LA, right? And mm-hmm. you know, went to schools um, to gifted and accelerated programs outside of her community, right. and would have to come back in and and sort of you know use her imagination to to think of ways of escape. But also, you know, one of the things that was important to her was showing how single mothers, how mothers, um, mothers like mine find a way to bring some joy into their, into their young, their, their young, uh, boys lives. And she, and that part and that the struggle to continue to do that, I think is hopeful for all of us. I mean, she, she's doing a lot in the face of a lot of adversity. Absolutely. And I think the, the other, the other portion of that, that, I, that you touched on, I think is, um, is glorious about Gloria is that she, you know, she, she he, she teaches her boys how to dream by dreaming. Um, you know, one of the reasons why that episode is so important is that we get to see that where David gets his imagination from right. is not from in the street. It's not from socialized. Mm-hmm. He gets it from his mother. Absolutely. She has just as active a mind and creativity <laughs> as, as he does, even if she didn't use it in an academic way. Right. And so a lot of his strength, a lot of his intelligence comes directly from her. Absolutely. And it's a great way for us to see that, that, that you know, young mothers who are often discounted as good nurturers can pass on traits that are very um, powerful to their young, their young boys. I will tell you this. Uh, your show, David Makes Band, it, uh, every Wednesday on OWN Network, that's Oprah's Network, is very relatable. I would say this in closing, is that this show allows, a lot of people talk about athletes coming, getting out of the hood. This show is talking about people like me. This is a story. This is me. I was I was done. So many people share this story, but academics can also get you out of the hood, and people can help you get out of the hood through relationships. That's what David Makes Man is about. Very relatable. Thank you for coming on my show. I'm a fan, as you are making millions of fans every Wednesday on your show.